Welcome to Wisdom Personified, Conversations with Dudum Somi, a passionate and relentless pursuit of exploring how individuals use good judgment in everyday life, both in their personal and professional lives. I'm very excited today. I'm talking to Dr. Fundile Nyati. He's actually my social media buddy and we haven't met. So this is quite exciting that we're now meeting face to face. At last, how are you? I'm good. Yeah. I'm good. Uh, finally, <laughs> uh, we, we're transforming the virtual friendship into real friendship. You know, yeah. it's about time. Yeah. I thought, you know, I've been wanting to talk to you for a while. What were your pastimes as a child? What did you focus on? Before I can answer that, yeah. I should just give you a bit of background about myself. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm a rural boy at heart. Mm-hmm. So uh, born uh, in rural Eastern Cape, grew up. Um, in the Eastern Cape, yeah. in the rural areas. Um, both my parents were teachers, uh, but one of them, which is my mother, yeah. decided to go the entrepreneurial route uh, and, and owned a general dealer store. A mother, yeah? Yeah. Highlight mother. Mm-hmm. Mother, yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And so I grew up in that uh, rural village called Tabase, outside of Umtata, um, you know, being that kid from the shop. Uh, mm-hmm. But that kid uh, also, you know, whose father is a principal. Yeah. Uh, and so, you know, growing up in that environment, uh, you get those influences from the educational side of things, from the business side of things, but also the authenticity of, of rural areas. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, you know, I still find that the best, you know, people that I, I spend time with uh, who are authentic are people who come from, underprivileged you know areas no 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 I'm some just... of us are authentic without having been rural <laughs> no 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 obviously i'm not saying if yeah. you're not from the yeah. you know but I, I just find that they have very little mm. but they are happy and especially the pondoland side of the eastern cape mm. there's no diplomacy in that part of the world but they tell you things directly uh, if they are unhappy about something yeah. you know that's where i was born yeah. uh, but i grew up in umtata uh, and so that's, that's, that's really the, the, the background. So what occupied my time as I was growing up as a kid? Um, obviously, because there was this shop at home. Mm-hmm. So my daily schedule started around 4 o'clock in the morning. Me and, me and my dad would yeah. have to drive to, to town to buy bread, fresh mm-hmm. bread, um, you know, um, and also fresh veggies, milk, and all of that. Because that's how we differentiated ourselves from the other shops, you know, in the in Already the at that age, you learned yes. about differentiation. Yes, yes, yes. So um, coming back from there, which should be like maybe around half past five, six, come back, um, you know, clean the yard. That was one of my chores, uh, to pick up all the little Chappies papers that were in the yard left by people who came to, to With buy. With amazing messages. Remember what yes. Chappies had yes. those nice you know, messages? That's the first time I heard about Church Street being the longest street in South Africa. You know, in church, every town ch- there's a Church Street. Ch- yeah. Church Street in Pretoria. So I always looked forward yeah. <laughs> to seeing this yeah. street, you know. And it is indeed, you know, a, a long street. But, it, you know, they've broken it up now and yeah. given it different names. But, yeah. yeah. So um, pick up papers, make sure that the yard is clean. And then wash my dad's car before he, he, he goes to okay, school. Okay, what part of that was fun? <laughs> it um, seems like it was really serious stuff. All of that was serious. Yeah. Um, then, you, you know, 
breakfast, you go to school, you come back. So when you come back from school around two o'clock until about five o'clock, that's like our time to, to play with other kids, yeah. you know. And then around six, uh, we come back, assist in the shop, uh, count the stock, see what needs to be bought for tomorrow. That was basically the routine. And then you studied medicine. Um, so you became a medical doctor and you also a family physician. Yeah. Then later you became an entrepreneur. So yeah. we are now at the offices of Proactive Health Solutions. Yes. And, but when you were growing up, what vision did you have for your life? Is what you're doing now anything what you thought you will be? Next to our shop there in the rural areas was a clinic, right? A community clinic. Yeah. But these guys didn't have fridges to keep their vaccines and all of that. So our home doubled up as an extension of the wow. clinic, you know, where we kept the vaccines for the kids and, uh, you know, people are coming for antenatal clinics and stuff. Gosh, I you must know? say, we don't actually think of things like that, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. And so I interacted a lot with patients uh, coming mm. to, you know, to, to support our shop. Um, and so, but also I was quite sickly when I was young, you know, with tonsillitis and all of that. Mm. So I used to go and see a lot of doctors. And because of that, I think I developed an interest in yeah, this field of medicine. Yeah. And they used to have big cars, big houses, and I thought, this must be life. This is it. You know? And so I chose medicine, and that was my vision. From age four or five, yeah. I already knew that that's what I want to do. do. Yeah. It's my brother, Mjeto, who tried to confuse me when I was doing a standard nine, which yeah. is grade 11 nowadays, who wanted me to think about engineering. Yeah, but I just, computer science. Yeah, I was not interested in all of that. I just wanted to be a doctor. Yeah. And yeah, I became a doctor at age 22. By the time I was 30, I was actually bored. I was bored. I, I found that I was not getting fulfillment out of the profession. You know, um, I went into private practice quite early. Um, by the time I was like, maybe eight years into private practice, and I was asking myself, is this it? Yeah. You know, um, there must be what, more. What, is it life. the routine of it? Or? One, it's boring, in the sense that half of the patients that you see, they are coming to ask for sick notes when they are actually not sick. The other ones, they want you to be part of defrauding medical aids. And, and all of those things, you just think, I can't go to school for so many years just to come back and be an accomplice to, to doing wrong things. So uh, unethical conduct pervades many parts of our society, unfortunately. Well, well yeah, it is, it, it, is, it is a big problem. I mean, the, the recent report from uh, Judge Sandy Lengobo on the uh, health market inquiry reveals that there's so much of corruption uh, and fraud within the private healthcare industry. And so as a first-line doctor, yeah. you know, as a GP, mm. you are the cold face of that. So I really felt there was more I needed to achieve, yeah. you know. I guess when I was, you know, growing up, I just saw myself in a small locality and just being that big doctor in the yeah. small locality. But when I became a doctor and after a few years, I felt, no, man, I need to do something different. But um, because it's unusual for doctors to branch out into anything else except medicine, the only thing you do, you go back, specialize, and come back and work in the communities. You know, so that is the route I initially thought of. I went to apply to become a, a, a specialist in training yeah. for dermatology. 
Because oh. I didn't want to do calls. That's my at cousin, night. Zamamom you know? Kize, is a yes, dermatologist. Exactly, yeah. yeah. So when I went to varsity to ask for, you know, be considered to be a registrar, that is what you are called when you are training, um, they said there's only two posts at any point in time, and two of the guys uh, have just started. So you have to wait another four years for one of them to pass before we can consider you. Wow. So I thought, no, man, I can't wait four years. I need to do something. I need to sharpen my brain a little bit. Yeah. So I then decided to do family medicine, yeah. which was a relatively new discipline. Basically, you become a specialist of common conditions across all disciplines. All right. Uh, so I did a three-year master's degree uh, to become a, a family physician. So after six years, another three years? Yes, yes, I, I, I did that. And when I finished it, they called me to come and do dermatology. But by that time, I was fascinated by MBA. How can, what would happen if I can mix an MBA you know, uh, with my medical degree? And Mteto had just finished. Uh, his his uh, advice. So I was talking to him a lot about. So did you eventually do it? Well, I wanted one that's focused on healthcare. Yeah. And there was a program at Stellenbosch University, okay. but when I also tried to get there, it had just been cancelled because they were not getting enough okay. people. <laughs> they were not getting the, enough people. The universe was telling you something, wasn't it? Yeah. In okay. a way. In a way. But then, um, luckily, Manchester Business School. Mm had just started a one-year program. They call it mini-MBA. Mm. So I looked at their curriculum and I thought, okay. I took it to the other guys who've done MBA and said, what do you think of this program? Yeah. It's a one-year program. What, correspondence, or did you go there? Um, they would come here. Oh, is it? Yeah, they would come here okay. uh, to Pretoria uh, in partnership with the Medical Association. Okay. There's something called Foundation for Professional Development. Okay. So I was, in the, I, was, I was in the first group with the current uh, CEO. The reason why I did that there were two reasons. One, I wanted to just move away from the usual stuff of, 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 of a progression of doctor yeah. careers, you know, to say... Something different. Definitely something different. But also at the time, Nkosasa Nazuma, who was the Minister of Health, she was introducing a lot of changes that were destabilizing, you know, uh, the private healthcare sector. Um, and I thought, you know what? There are these people who are working with Nkosasa, who are advising her, most of them are coming from the legal side, uh, or economics, or, yeah. or, or, or actuaries, but there isn't a health person, you know, be, be, besides, be, you know, besides yeah. a DG, you yeah. know, but generally they interact with people who come from outside of our yeah. profession, yeah. Uh, profession, and these guys are shaping the direction. Yeah. There's very little voice yeah. by, by the doctors who are just the people who have to work within that environment, and I thought, Maybe, you know, if I acquire the business management skills, I could actually be one of the people who could be a thought leader that advises, that critiques, you know, uh, and so comes out with solutions. So this is perfect for my next question. Yeah. What do you think your unique value proposition is? I'm a solutions-orientated kind of person. So whenever I get into any situation, um, I'm critical of what is there. Uh, with a view to adding value. So I'm about adding value in whatever situation that I'm in. So um, the skills I acquired uh, helped me. I mean, even in medicine, you find out what is the problem, yeah. and then what can I do to make sure that this person is as healthy as possible. But now, um, in the business world, um, it's about 
you know, making a bigger difference, influencing, you know, how things are going. Um, so do you like, part of do you like influencing policy? Is that I, something? I, I like influencing policy. I definitely do. But not just influencing policy, but I also like to ensure I'm part of running programs mm -hmm. that will solve the problems. Because sometimes people so are very a good. You are a doer. I'm a doer. Okay. One of the things I actually regret about, you know, the, the, the discipline of medicine um, is that you go in there, you're fresh, you've got all the abilities, you can be a lateral thinker, you can think strategically and whatever, but the training itself actually narrows you down. Because you specialist, yeah. Yeah, you know, and so you can't think laterally. You're not very strategic. So when I switched from medicine into business, I had to then learn, um, you know, to think strategically, to think laterally, you know, uh, because that's what you need to provide solutions. And so um, my unique value proposition really is um, I am a solutions-orientated guy who's passionate about healthcare. I'm not really interested in anything else outside of healthcare. Yeah. All right? Um, I'm somebody who's very positive. Well, this is interesting because, uh, you know, unfortunately when uh, we lost Wongani yeah. Mayusi, you disclosed the fact that you suffer from depression. Why did you not want us to get the impression that you are a perfect human being? Why did you want us to have insight into that part of you? It comes from uh, some realization that you know, um, I got around 98, 99, when I had my first serious life event, um, which really took me down to a point where I had to close my practices. Uh, I had financial problems. I had to move in with my sister because I couldn't, you know, really even afford paying the basic rent. Mm. But that experience of about six months uh, not working uh, with a failed marriage, failed medical practice, and trying to say, how do I move forward? That actually was the best time to get to know who Fundile is, why is he here on earth, uh, what's my life purpose really, you know, and bad as it was as an experience, but it gave me so much growth yeah. uh, to actually understand that um, I'm not just here to add numbers, I'm here to be part of, you know, uh, making the, uh, sorry, the world uh, a better place, mm. you know, so with the Bongani situation, firstly, he was my senior and mentor from high school. Yeah. Same when I got to medical school, I looked up to him so much. Uh, and he was the kind of guy who was selfless, always there to support us who were coming up. And then uh, he took a year off uh, to do something else. And then he became a classmate from the fourth year okay. until the final year. Mm -hmm. So I worked so closely. I looked up to this guy. Uh, he's the guy who understood uh, you know, the value of hard work, even if you think you are, you know, mentally uh, gifted, you know, or intellectually gifted, yeah. you know. So his loss through depression yeah. and suicide took me back to a point where I was so afraid about what the world was going to say, you know, when I had a failed marriage, mm -hmm. that I'm a social failure. And so I thought maybe the best thing is to just end my life, you know? So 
whilst I didn't talk about that yeah. then, yeah. but when his situation happened, it just took me back mm. 20 years ago. And also understanding that mental illness, there's so much uh, lack of understanding about what it is. A you know, there's a lot of stigma, there's a lot of discrimination about it. So I felt, okay, Bongani is not alone. I've gone through this as well. I could have been written about as well, just like Bongani, as somebody who killed himself. Um, and so I thought, at this point, South Africa needs people who can say depression, suicide, it can happen to any of us. Yes. In fact, those amongst us who are high achievers, uh, who are highly critical of themselves, who set very high bar for themselves, when we don't achieve or we feel we're not achieving what we've set for ourselves, we're actually high risk to actually be too hard on ourselves yeah. and even kill ourselves. And he was that kind of person. Uh, so, um, like, I saw myself as a social failure. And that's why I wanted to just yeah. end And we it need all. to be more compassionate towards ourselves first. Exactly. And then we'll be able exactly. to... Exactly. So really my main reason for coming out was to say, to put a face yeah. to depression. And to say you've survived you know, that. You say, you can, you actually, can. it's temporary. No matter how bleak it looks yeah. like, look, 20 years later, I actually, I'm in a much better space. And I we're would, benefiting from what you are doing. Exactly. Yeah. Because I could have been stuck at the medical surgery. Uh, you know, scratching my head there. Right now, if the divorce did not happen and the depression and whatever else, uh, I wouldn't have taken a risk to go and start a big business that is actually going to influence not a small locality, but the country uh, with a vision to grow further, you know, to the continent and, and the rest of the world. I suppose that the, the wisdom is about even in pain, there are lessons. Definitely. There are gifts. So yes. it's about focusing more on the gifts that they bring, even if they're painful, yes. so that you're able to overcome. Exactly. I mean, that, that's, that's what I think. I also, obviously, at a spiritual level, you know, I believe that, um, you know, from time to time, things will be allowed to happen to you to bring you back in line with what you're actually supposed to be doing. Mm. Because that's the first time I got to know that, no, uh, because I was stressing, if I leave my medical practice, I'm not straying away from the reason why I'm here on earth. Yeah. But I actually understood that uh, sometimes uh, your purpose and the vision relating to that is, you know, is given to you in, in, in increments. Yeah, it's not a know? straight line. It's, it's, not, a, it's, it's not a straight line. line. I'm, I'm actually happy that I went through that bad experience because I think it has given the world a better version of myself. We're happy, yeah. <laughs> which is why we follow you. Yeah. <laughs> um, in terms of last year, nine, uh, 2018, what book did you read that made a good impression and uh, why did it make that impression on you? There's actually two books. Mm -hmm. The first one was I've been grappling with issues of spirituality. Okay. All right? Now, the first book is a book written by um, Mr. Kreivachen about Mandela. It's called The Spiritual Mandela. That's, oh, that's the, that's the thing. Come yeah, that. you know, okay. yeah. Uh, the spiritual Mandela. But what touches me about that book is that we know so much about Mandela, but when it comes to his spirituality and faith, he chose to keep it private. And whenever questions were asked around that, mm -hmm. he decided, no, this is one space I am not going yeah. to share about myself. So that book shares a lot about uh, 
basically is what we, we refer to as syncretism. Mm -hmm. When somebody believes in more than one you know, religion or, 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 you know, or, spi or spirituality. So the Christian side of him and the Methodist side of thing yeah. comes out very clearly. But also the traditional African belief system within him also comes out. One part that really stood out for me is the fact that when he was about to be buried, um, when they were repatriating the body from Johannesburg to Umtata, mm -hmm. they sent an elder from the Tembu clan mm. to come in yeah. uh, and, and, and um, do what is referred to as the, as the harvesting of the spirit. Yeah. All right? Yeah. So an, an olive branch, mm. fresh olive branch, um, you know, was used as the transport of his spirit yeah. with that elder all the way to Waterkloof uh, and from Waterkloof yeah. to Kunu mm. and, you know, uh, where he was buried. Yeah. Now, for him, the guy that we all look up to, actually he was still very traditional and he had no issues with mixing the two. And it's the, not in conflict. It's not. I mean, that's yes. why I know it. Yes. In our family, we do it. Yes. So, and right, they're they still but, Christian but families. Most, but, but most people uh, do not understand. In fact, even if there is a traditional African belief system, mm. we, 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 they don't talk about it openly. It's normally discreet. I think that's part and, of our downfall, and, isn't and, it? And, Being and, embarrassed and, and, about our culture. Exactly. So for me, that's one thing mm. that I really picked up, that actually there's nothing wrong with more than one belief system. Yeah. You can you, integrate you need, it. You must integrate it. Number two, <coughs> it's a book by Malcolm Gladwell, I mean, The Outliers. I love that man. What I liked about that book is the fact that um, it says, if you are successful in whatever field of endeavor that you've chosen, um, you must take time to think that and understand that it's not only because of your own talents and skills and everything else, your brilliance. Most of the time, there's certain things that happened that changed the course uh, and made you to be where you are. And so um, through those uh, uh, situations, you got to be where you are. So don't just think that uh, everything is about you. Uh, the universe conspired, you met a certain person who, because of meeting that person, it changed how things, you know. Uh, the other part is about that, those 10,000 hours, you know. You take uh, them seriously, do you? No, I, I do. I, I do, you know, I just believe, I don't believe in success, that, you know, hard work. Yeah. Hard work, practice, hard work. Um, there are no you know, shortcuts, no? I don't believe in shortcuts. So those are the two books that really, you know, influenced my, my thinking from last year. What is the most courageous decision you've ever taken? Last year? Mm. Um, I mean, in, the, in this, this company, this is the 20th year of its existence. There's one area of our business which is in high demand. It's called the employee assistance programs or the counseling services for troubled employees and their families. Mm -hmm. It's the most sought out, you know, uh, or sought after service by employers. Now, but the industry itself in South Africa, it's about 30, 30 years old. It's been stagnant. It's not been growing. Uh, there hasn't been much innovation. Uh, there are a lot of, you know, I'll call it oligopoly. Uh, and generally, guys are comfortable. But everything else around them is changing. But the industry is not changing. And so 
um, I decided that I am going to um, make sure that PHS goes in into this industry, disrupt it mm -hmm. by leveraging technology. And so we've made huge investments in the last 18 months to develop, I'll say, first of a kind in the continent, a technology platform that ensures that uh, people can be able to access counseling from, you know, counseling professionals, not only through the phone, yes. but other channels as well, including so video app? counseling. Yes, we, we developed uh, that technology platform, multi-channel technology platform, which we have called Inua. Inua. Yeah, Inua is a Swahili word for to cure, to heal, to uplift, to rejuvenate. It's, it's it, you know, we have plans to grow into the continent and we thought um, to show that, let's, let's, let's give it a name of the most spoken yeah. indigenous language in, in, in Africa. I love Swahili. Yes. I don't speak it, but yes. my company is also called Busara yes. Leadership Partners. Oh. And Busara means wisdom yes. you in see, Swahili. That's lovely. So um, we'll be making a lot of noise. Um, we launched it in November last year. Uh, we are still rolling it out now with the employers. We'll be going beyond the traditional EAP to the consumers because there's a lot of people who so need... directly to the consumers. Direct to consumers. Mm, we'll, we'll be launching that yeah. um, around, around June, but also to related industries as a value-added service to your insurers. Okay. So if somebody has got a funeral policy, mm. um, when they claim, or well, when their family claim, um, they must also be able to get bereavement counseling through that yes, and yes. other forms of counseling well uh, packaged well with, with, within yeah. that. You've diagnosed with a dreaded disease, yeah. you know, you must also be able yeah. to get counseling as a value-added service. So we are basically saying the EAP industry, yes, it was for employers. So you're really but we're disrupting just, it. We are definitely disrupting it well through done. technology. I'm very proud of you in there. You've unfortunately been a victim of crime a number of times in your young life. The other one was the credit card fraudster in yeah. the UK, uh, 2006. And recently, which got all our hearts stopping for a while, you had a botched carjacking just yeah. like three weeks ago. Yes. Um, how have these violations affected your mental health, do you think? Obviously, it is not, it's not nice to be a victim of crime, any, any form of crime. Uh, but also, we also need to be realistic and understand that... Um, in, in this day and age, there's a lot of people who actually make it their business to steal from others. So for me, I look for a lesson in a situation. The lesson from the credit card fraud is that when you go to a restaurant and you are paying, don't allow the waiter to disappear with your card because I, th I, I, I then understood that they get paid some money for each card that they skim so that they produce you know a clone of your card that's what happened yeah. they cloned my card and so they and this was they not bought. even in south africa it was in the uk yeah. in fact there, were, there was another one in russia as well so for me from that experience it taught me that you need to be vigilant mm. you know even with going to restaurants which is the normal thing be vigilant yeah. about the most recent one yeah. um that was very scary in fact i thought that was the last day of my life. 
Because, I mean, I was followed from Sentin, and then, uh, you know, when I stopped at the garage, they pounced on me with guns, three guys who pointed guns at me and demanded my valuables. I actually thought they were looking for the car as well. Uh, but unfortunately, I think the car I was driving is one of those standout cars, and maybe they were scared that they will not be able to, 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 to hide. Yeah. They will be easily caught. I don't know. But from that experience, more than being disappointed, uh, because crime, again, is everywhere in South Africa. And the world. And the world, yes, mm -hmm. yes, 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 and the world. Um, I mean, this is my 22nd year in Johannesburg, and I had never experienced serious crime that threatened my life like that. So it was my introduction to Johannesburg. So I had to look on the positive side. Yeah. The fact that, um, yes, I lost some possessions, but my life was spared. So for me, I'm grateful yeah. for my life. That was, and, reading and, it was just, we yes. were all like shaking a bit. Yes, no, 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 look, it, it's, it's scary, very scary uh, situation, but uh, it's life, yeah. life goes on. What uh, one behavior do you think um, that you've observed from leaders that you think ruins them, that you think they should guard against, especially aspirant leaders, they shouldn't really fall foul to that? What, what is that behavior? I would say hubris. You know, mm -hmm. uh, the, the, I find that sometimes some leaders, their position and the influence they have over others and to society goes to their heads. Uh, they become so consumed with who they are and their position and it gets to a point where the way they interact with others. Um, it's, it's, it's looking down upon people. They don't listen, you know, to, to other people's views. Uh, they know it all. And they, they've got extreme arrogance, yeah. you know, which actually tends, tends off a lot of stakeholders. I mean, if you are in that position of leadership, you should be the kind of person who makes it easy for people to come to you or to share ideas with you and all of that. So there's many examples, I mean, uh, in our own space, uh, in the healthcare space, the AIDS debate, HIV and AIDS debate, and the position that was taken by our president uh, then, you know, Tabo, I saw serious hubris. That, is, that, that made him not to take time to think and understand that actually I'm not an expert in this space. There are many people who know a lot about this space. Let me work with others rather than think that I'll apply the principles of economics in a field of absolutes. You know, I mean, medicine, it's about research and all of that. So that's just one example. But with what has been happening in our SOEs, I see a lot of leaders, whether we're talking the SARS situation whether we're talking uh, Prasa, whether we're talking uh, trans, Transnet. So people, the arrogance and inability to actually take time to listen. So listening is the key thing, listen to other human beings. Yes. What are the last words of wisdom you want to share with us? I really have enjoyed this. I wish it could be longer. I think uh, my words of wisdom, my parting words is... Um, in life, we all 
have something unique that uh, we are bringing to the world. Um, let's try and discover that as early as possible so that we can make as much positive impact uh, to humanity as possible. For as long as we can. For as long as we can, yes. Have you enjoyed that? Yes. It ended quickly. <laughs> I hope you enjoyed it. I really did. I, I didn't know what to expect. Um, but transferring from the virtual world to the real world, I'm yeah. happy. Yeah. And thank you so much for joining us again for Wisdom Personified Conversations with Didum Somi. Until next time. Thank you for listening to this episode of Wisdom Personified Conversations with Dudum Somi. Please also like, follow and subscribe to our channel and share the wisdom with your friends. I would love it if you could rate and review as well. Wisdom Personified Conversations with Dudum Somi is also available on YouTube, Facebook Watch, Apple and Google Podcasts, as well as Spotify. Enjoy the wisdom journey.